Well, okay, let's get to it. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah as we continue through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Jeremiah chapter three. We finished up chapter two on Wednesday and uh, I'm, my plan this Wednesday is to try to get some, gain some ground. Uh, and uh, it's Jeremiah chapter three, four, and five. We'll see how far we get, but that's the, that's the plan uh, this coming Wednesday. But there's a theme that is in chapter three that we cannot ignore, um, especially on these you know, weekend services. I usually take a notion or, or a single verse or a small text from our upcoming Wednesday night study, but this is the one that you, know, you, kinda, you, you can't miss it. Uh, let's see if you can figure out what the theme is. We're gonna bounce around just a little bit, but then we'll land on the, the final verse that will be our text for the evening. Let's, let's back up into chapter two and I'll give you a hint even there what the theme is gonna be. So here we go. J Jeremiah chapter two is where we'll start. Um, verse 19, Jeremiah two nineteen. it says, thine own wickedness shall correct thee, thy backsliding shall re reprove thee. Therefore know and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Now go to chapter three. Chapter three, verse six. The Lord said unto me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Look at verse eight, and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto the backsliding Israel, hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Verse Verse, that was verse 11. Verse 12, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Verse 14, oh, turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Look at uh, verse uh, 22, return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Anybody wanna take a stab? at what our topic is of the evening here? Yes, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure some of these things out, but for sure here in chapter three, you know, Jeremiah has a word and he's even given Israel a new name, backsliding Israel. Um, and, uh, and, and he kind of uses that, that name over and over and over again. It, it's interesting because backsliding um, can be so subtle and yet ever so treacherous. And that's sort of the, the idea that the Lord is reminding through the, the um, you know, prophet Isaiah saying, listen, you know, it's not like anybody says, today I'm gonna back backslide. You know, there's this, there's this treachery about how it sort of sneaks up on you. Um, you know, I read from chapter two of Jeremiah there, verse 12, um, uh, and what have you. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, it's, it's um, it's also verse 19, chapter two, verse 19, I, I should say. I like the NIV version of that one. It says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God 
and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Could there be a link to backsliding and not having an awe of the Lord where you're just standing in awe of the Lord, being impressed by the Lord? You know, there's this thing that happens when a person just sort of uh, doesn't see their relationship with the Lord as being that important. Or maybe they feel like they're insignificant before God and they don't have this personal relationship with the Lord. And so as time goes along, man, they find themselves moving further and further away. You know, it's an interesting thing, backsliding, and, and really being a Christian. Because over the years, I've just noticed you can't really just put it in neutral and just sit still. Um, it's, a, it's a strange thing being a, a person of faith. You know, you're either gaining ground or losing ground. And it's almost like there's this constant tension on the human soul to be sliding away from the Lord. It's our sin nature, it's our flesh, it's the part of us that wants to do the wrong thing. And there's this constant tension pulling us back that way. And so for the believer, if you're just kind of putting it in neutral, you're gonna be pulled back. You're gonna go into that backsliding mode. Um, and so you, you have to actually put, put the pedal to the metal and continue to push forward in your faith. And, and here's where it gets really tricky. Maybe you've been a, a believer for years and you know that you have this propensity to move away from the Lord. But man, you just kind of, after, after years and years, maybe you've just grown tired in your spiritual pursuits. And so you kind of put it in neutral and you don't realize that your faith is wavering and you start finding yourself very, very far from the Lord. It reminds me uh, even of that, that song we just sang, Come Thou Fount. Um, it's great, I didn't ask Joey and the worship team to do that song, but it fits perfectly uh, for tonight's uh, lesson. Uh, and the reason, well, Robert Robinson, he was a guy who had been saved out of a kind of a crazy, tempestuous life of sin and debauchery, um, but he was saved through the ministry of George Whitfield, um, interestingly enough, there in England. But shortly after that, um, at the age of, the ripe old age of 23, um, Robert Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. A 23 year old kid wrote that song, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, come thou fount uh, of every blessing, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. What a great old hymn. We, we sing that happily here at Athey because it's so true. But did you know, sadly, shortly thereafter, Robinson wandered far from those streams that he wrote about, the streams of mercy. And sort of like the prodigal son uh, journeyed in the distant country of carnality, you know, just, just got into the world again after he wrote that hymn. Um, there was one day though, many years later, he, uh, he was traveling by stagecoach and sitting beside this young woman who was very engrossed you know, in her book as she was reading. And, uh, and he asked what she was reading and she said, oh, I'm reading a book of hymns. Um, and and uh, she ran across a verse she thought was beautiful. So she asked him what he thought of it. And uh, this, was, this was what she read, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Um, at that moment, Robinson burst into tears and he said, Madame, I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy those feelings I had back then. Well, the story goes on where he realized that he had become miserable 
in his sin and he returned. Uh, and uh, he, even though he wrote about it at 23 years old, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And he did, he wandered and walked away from the Lord, but it would be in his older years he finally came back, uh, largely because that little conversation there um, in that stagecoach. I wonder, you know, how many of us know that we have that propensity to wander away from the Lord? But even though we know it and feel it, we don't put up our guard against it. I wonder if maybe during this season particularly, you know, I've noticed that during the season of uh, coronavirus, um, and maybe even with the season of election and with the season of rioting and protesting and uh, all kinds of just, you know, this year, the smoke and fires. And, you know, I, I've noticed a lot of people have been extremely discouraged. And discouragement in and of itself doesn't freak me out too bad, but it's what discouragement does to a congregation. One of the things that happens when people get discouraged, I've found over the years, and especially this year, 2020, is I've noticed there's this, there's this tendency to just to kind of shut down. Even some of the things you were doing before, and as a congregation, I've seen people, and I've seen some of our marriages uh, starting to really suffer. I've watched some of our uh, younger people getting uh, into more of a despair and uh, even depression. You know, I've seen a lot of people uh, because of the discouragement of what's happened in 2020, I wonder if people, their walk is actually further away than it was last year. It's almost like when people get discouraged, they just kind of throw their arms up and say, well, let's just wait for all this to get over. But remember, there's a constant tension on your soul pulling you away from God. And could it be that that's exactly what the enemy wants to do? Is in this season of discouragement, you know, you're gonna either uh, grow closer to the Lord during tough times, or you're gonna go further away? And that'd be a good question, just a simple question to ask yourself. Are you closer to God today than you were in 2019 uh, on Halloween? <laughs> uh, are, are you closer or are you further away? Have you given up some of your routines of getting into the word in the morning? Um, or meeting up with those friends that you got together doing a Bible study because of the coronavirus? You, you couldn't gather anymore, so you decided to you know, lock down. And, and maybe just alone and in despair. Ask yourself, am I better today than I was a year ago in my faith, in my walk with the Lord? And I hope you can say yes, but if not, we have some good news. You see, of all the verses I just shared with you, the one that's my favorite, uh, and we're gonna use it as a text, you say, well, Brett, isn't that you being unfair, choosing your favorite verse out of all these? Well, I'll just put it this way. If this verse wasn't here, Israel would be toast. And I'll tell you why, because did you see what he said? Remember he said in verse eight of chapter three, he said, when I saw the, you know, the backsliding Israel committed, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Remember I told you that Israel's the wife of God? Some people who are, you know, uh, these replacement theology people who say God's done with Israel, um, they use this verse to say, see, God divorced Israel. He's no longer their wife. And you can't make that case because first of all, he's talking about the Northern 10 tribes. And then he refers to the, the Southern two tribes, Judah. So minimally you can make the argument for Judah, but I believe that there's a better verse that shows that the Lord did not do that. It's a little bit like when you remember Moses, the Lord said, step aside, Moses, I'm gonna destroy the people. And of you, I will make a mighty nation. 
Um, you're thinking, well, Lord, are you gonna destroy the Jews? Well, that's what it looked like. But then Moses interceded on behalf of the people and prayed and said, oh, Lord, not so. And he prayed and said, your name is on the line. Lord, your reputation, these are your people. And the Lord, it says, repented of the evil that he was gonna do to the children of Israel. And some people try to superimpose, you know, our own sinful nature upon God as they see he changed his mind. Not, not so. What actually happened is God was working within Moses, a heart of mercy. Who put it within the heart of Moses to intercede on behalf of those children of Israel? You know, if I were Moses, I'd be like, great, fry him, Lord, make a mighty nation out of me and my uh, children, you know, that's great. But Moses, he said, nope, I'm gonna intercede. And the Lord uh, did, did not destroy Israel. In a way, this is one of those moments where God is saying, man, I was gonna write this bill of divorce because of the adulterous people of Israel, the backsliding children of Israel. But this is why uh, I don't make that our, our life verse for the day, because where that ends is really bad. If you're divorced from God, bad news. But I love, love this verse because this is the pressure relief valve right here. Let's take a look. Verse 12 is our text for the day. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and, and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Aren't you glad about that one? The mercy of the Lord, oh, how wonderful it is that he's not, um, you know, gonna hold, it, hold your feet to the fire, you know, for the rest of eternity, but he's merciful. Um, his mercy endures how long? Forever, the Bible makes that pretty clear, doesn't it? His mercy endureth forever. How many times does the Bible say that? Oh, I don't know, somebody should count, but it's a lot. And his mercy endures forever. And that's the hope of Israel. And that is the hope for the Athe Creekers that uh, have that backsliding tendency or temptation. Um, you know, that, that we know that his mercy endures and he's a merciful God and he will not keep his anger uh, always. So let's explore this a little bit, this, this concept of the backslider. First of all, who is the backslider and what does that look like? And, and it might look different than what you might think. You know, because a lot of us, when we think of a backslider, it's like, um, you know, somebody who was once sitting among us here in the church and worshiping and praying and, you know, trying their best to walk with the Lord. And then suddenly they, we didn't see him anymore. And then instead of being here on a Saturday night, they were at the bar and, and uh, you know, getting drunk and with their friends and partying down and like, there's a backslider right there. And that is kind of an example of a backslider, but there's, there's other examples that are so, so much more subtle that we might have to be careful about. So who is the backslider? Well, the Hebrew word right here uh, is an interesting uh, you know, Hebrew word. It's meshuva is the Hebrew word for backslider. And it's, um, there's actually several words for backslider, but this is the main one, meshuva. And it means turning away, turning back to revert to sin or wrongdoing. And the, the New Testament word apostasy, or the Greek word apostasia, is linked to that word. Some people say, um, you know, the word backsliding is not in the New Testament, so, you know, and it's, it's a lot of times the, uh, bless their hearts, the people that, you know, are, are um, you know, hardcore eternal security, which, uh, you know, depending on what you're asking me, I'm, I'm into eternal security too, and I thank the Lord for that. Uh, but can you lose your salvation, Brett? Well, it's funny, we talked about that just a couple weeks ago, you know, the Calvinism, Arminianism arguments and all that stuff. Well, some people are really uncomfortable with this term backsliding because the implication 
as you were once saved, but you lost your salvation or left your salvation. Uh, those are nuances that I don't really wanna argue. But whatever a backslider is, I don't want any part of it. And, but for a person to say the word backsliding is not really in the, in the New Testament, not super honest because the word is apostasia. It means to turn away from uh, the truth. And we do see that word in the New Testament. And it's gonna, by the way, um, one of the, the marks of the last days, sad to say, is a great apostasia, a great turning away from faith. So that when you see the statistics, you know, of people turning away from faith or losing their faith or leaving their faith, you know, there's all these, you know, worship leaders from different groups, Hillsong and others that, you know, will come out and say, I'm no longer a Christian, <clears throat> you know, these bands. <clears throat> I'm not surprised, by the way, you know, a lot of these Christian bands from the 90s and the early 2000s, and you wonder what, what, what happened to them? They were Christians back in the day. The, the problem is I, I saw the handwriting on the wall back then. These, these guys were singing about stuff that they didn't know anything about. Uh, and, and yet they were called a Christian band, but nobody was discipling them or teaching them in the word. I don't think they ever really were perhaps even saved to begin with. And so then they come out and say, well, I just can't believe that a God of love would allow you know, rape and warfare and disease in the world. And so I, I'm no longer a person of faith. And it's so sad because they were never really saved to begin with probably, or they never were rooted or grounded in the word. And so you see that happening today where people that were once you know, numbered among us as Christian people and famous people, um, you know, the guy that wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and you know, others that have kind of turned from the faith and people say, are shocked by that. But one of the things that the, the scriptures say in the last days, there will be a great apostasia or a great falling away from faith. And that will be a mark that's gonna be sort of a trigger during the times of the tribulation period. So don't be shocked when you see that, Rem be reminded that that's a sign of the times that we're living. But all that to say, we, you know, we hear about the millennials, you know, are leaving the church by droves, you know, and, and uh, you're hearing things like that. And sometimes I wonder about all these statistics that you hear, you know, on blogs and internet stuff, you know, uh, um, is it true news or not? I don't know, or is it fake news? Uh, who knows? There's so much misinformation, disinformation out there. Who knows what's really happening? But if you do get a sense of that, don't be surprised. There is a falling away that we have seen uh, even locally here, which is really sad. Now at Athey, we're seeing a lot of people come to Christ and we see a, sort of a, um, a slow but steady revival over the last 25 years here at Athey and people getting saved every week, which is really cool. But that's not the general trend that seems to be happening in the world and we shouldn't be surprised. So the idea of backsliding means turning away, turning back to revert to sin or wrongdoing and also apostasia. Now, the question then would come is why do we have that tendency as human beings to move there, to go there? What is it that makes you and I put down our guard about backsliding? And maybe you're sitting here saying, but I'll never backslide. You're preaching to the choir here, man. We're, we're good, we're here at church. But the problem is with backsliding is the Lord seems to warn in his word about it to people that were solid and doing good. And uh, it is interesting how um, I've seen people who I would have bet money that they would never fall away from faith or walk away from the Lord. And I've seen it happen and you're just stunned. So better men than me, better women than you uh, have walked away from faith 
And so we have to kind of realize, maybe we should be on our guard about this. What are some of the things, why do we tend to have that backsliding tendency? Well, there's a couple hints, I think, in the word. Let me just give you a couple of my favorites. One is Deuteronomy chapter eight. Keep your finger here, flip back to the book of Deuteronomy with me. And this is where the Lord warned the Jews about this this, uh, danger that we're talking about of falling away, of backsliding, apostasia. Uh, You know, what's the deal there? Well, Deuteronomy chapter eight, when the Lord was giving the law through Moses, he gave them a very somber warning about when they would come into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, it's right here in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11. And there it says, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hath built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee uh, forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So there's a couple things going on here. This this warning about uh, falling away or backsliding. The Lord says, when you get into the promised land, be careful because when you begin to multiply all your goods, your home, and you're just living fat and happy and everything's you know, great, then what happens? Well, it's not just that you're fat and happy that you forget the Lord, but it says here something that I think is interesting. Your heart is lifted up. The idea is that you're, you start to be prideful. Verse 14, pride is one of the quickest ways to backsliding for the believer. When you think, you know, I'm pretty amazing. Look what I have done. I alone am a self-made man. You know, and, and, and we as Americans love to talk like that. Look what we have done. And, you know, and, and uh, really, when you think about it, we've done nothing. You know, I'm a self-made man. What part of me did I make? You know, the Lord made us. Um, it's not us. Without him, how much can we do? Nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And we think that we're really all that or something because we're Americans and we have houses and cars and the rest of the world, well, they're just lazy. They must not be hard workers or they must be you know, not really true people of faith because look at them, they're living in mud huts and, and in disease and poverty. And we sort of have this prideful, arrogant way about us that somehow thinks we did it. Uh, I think we've even convinced other countries that that's true. Wow, those Americans, they're hard workers and stuff like that. I was in Burkina Faso driving down the street with a pastor there and, and I just, I was so moved by just seeing all the people and children on the streets and open sewers and just the poverty and, and just the dust and the dirt and the mud huts and just thought, wow, you know, this is so surreal as an American to be driving through a place like that. And, um, and I, I, I started just talking to the pastor about, man, you know, um, there's no natural resources here, you know, and and, uh, you know, what, what, what are these people doing? They're all busy running around. What are they doing? He said, nothing. There's nothing to do. You know, it's just hot and dusty. And uh, they might be looking for water or they might be trying to find, you know, a, a stray dog running around for lunch uh, to have a meal. 
you know, like seriously, there was, there was and, and, um, and we were, the more we were talking, but he said something that was interesting to me. He said, Pastor Brett, he said, if you take these people here in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, and you put them in the United States, and if you put the people of America in Burkina Faso, Ouagadougou, he said in 10 years, the United States would look like Burkina Faso and the, the Burkina Faso would look like the United States. Uh, even he sort of believed that, wow, the Americans are self-made and look what their ingenuity and all the things that we've done. And I understood what he was saying. There, there is a certain truth to what he was talking about. But at the same time, um, in my heart of hearts, I kind of knew, no, um, that old song that we sing, God shed his grace on thee. That's the only reason America has been great is because we've been given God's grace. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because at the same time, my African brothers were praying for us, knowing that we had all kinds of temptations, uh, like television. I remember him saying, man, you know, the church, they all pray for television. I said, oh, don't, don't pray for that. Uh, you don't want that. Um, and he said, well, we know that you guys have television and there's all kinds of temptation you know, of sin and evil and said, yep, you know. It's an interesting thing, the, the stuff that are so, so normal to us and, and, you know, to them, it would be total backsliding to watch a certain show or to have a certain lifestyle. But it's, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's a little bit of a relative thing when you think about people around the world. Are you in, in a backslidden state? And, it, and I'm not talking about compared to the average American. I'm talking about before Jesus Christ tonight. Would, would Jesus say through, you know, like I, through Jeremiah here, the same thing that he's saying to the children of Israel, that we have been, we have succumbed to the other gods and goddesses. Well, Brett, I'm not worshiping Ashtoreth or Moloch or Baal or Chemosh or, you know, Diana or any of these gods and goddesses. But the question is, is not do you have a stone idol, but are you materialistic? Are you greedy? Are you perverted? Are you into pornography? Uh, those are all things that they worshiped and we just do it differently than they did in those days. And those conditions would have been considered a backslidden state. So here the Lord is very lovingly but powerfully reminding the people of Israel, oh man, uh, don't, don't, don't go into that place of backsliding. And the first warning that we looked at is your, your backsliding itself will correct you. It's not that the Lord is gonna find you out, but you know, your backsliding is gonna catch up to you. So why do we do it? Well, I think one is because we're fat and happy and we're all comfortable and we're thinking everything's great. And the Lord warned that when, when we're in that place, you forget the Lord and you tend to walk away from the Lord. You don't have a need for the Lord. I think that's one of the hardest reasons why it's hard to convince someone from Lake Oswego or West Lynn or Wilsonville or Tualatin to accept Christ because they don't even realize they have a need for anything. What, what do I need? I'm happy. Got a house, car, career. Why should I want the Lord? And they don't even know their, their desperate need. Jesus talked about this you know, issue of why we tend to backslide as well. I think when he was talking about um, you know, the sowing of the seed, let me remind you from Mark chapter four, verse 18, it says, um, these are they which are sown, the seed, of, which is the word of God, among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. 
Isn't that interesting that Jesus talked about the same thing that Deuteronomy was talking about, about how you know the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things enter in and it chokes out the true word of God, which moves you and me in that backsliding mode. It's sort of the grass is greener on the other side. Oh yeah, thank the Lord I got my house lost, but I need more. And so the, the Lord is sort of choked out of the equation like the thorns in the story of the parable of the sower. Um, and, and it's interesting that possessions have so much to do with it. Another scripture jot down under this, uh, talking about why we tend to backslide is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 10. I'll read it to you. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's backsliding. You know, what, what is it? They've erred from the face, faith <laughs> and pierced themselves through um, with many sorrows. You see, what is it that causes someone to err away from the faith? It's this, um, you know, deceitfulness of riches that Jesus talked about as the sower that Moses wrote of in Deuteronomy. Um, it's that thing about being wealthy and having everything that you need seemingly to where we don't really need the Lord anymore. God forbid that our comfort and our you know, pleasure and our lifestyle keeps us from having a solid, loving, real, vibrant relationship with the Lord. And if you've been so comfortable um, uh, you know, that you kind of let your relationship with the Lord you know, draw, draw cold, it's time to get back into the Lord and walk with him. Um, you know, it's, it's what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden as they you know, uh, sinned there. The first thing they did was hid themselves from God. And God said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, did he lose them? Two people on the earth. Uh, what did I do with those people? Uh, is that what happened? No, no. When, when God says, Adam, where, where are you? It's, it's almost like he was saying, where are you at? What are you guys up to? What, what's happening? Um, and they had to confess. We've eaten of the tree of the you know, knowledge of good and evil. That's what happens. Our own sin removes us from having that relationship with the Lord. So why do we do it? Man, it's pride, it's covetousness, it's forgetting the Lord because we have so much. But what makes backsliding such a big deal? A lot of, a lot of us, if you're like me, I was raised to know the grace of God and God's mercy. Man, you can just repent and confess your sins and get right back to it if you want to. Um, if you know the mercy of God and you know the grace of God, you think, ah, backsliding. So if I backslide a few weeks or a few months, whatever, I'll get back with the Lord. Um, is this what Paul was talking about when he said, should we continue in sin and let grace abound? He says, God forbid. It's almost like there's this tendency because if you're a person like me who was raised to know, yeah, the Bible teaches us that God is merciful and his mercy endures forever and all you need to do is repent of your sins, you can start playing games with God and you use sort of God's grace as the doormat to wipe your feet before you walk back into church. And, and you, you're kind of like, well, you know, I'm saved by grace and praise the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry for doing all that stuff over and over and over again. But is there real repentance there? It's a little bit like, you know, the alcoholic that says, oh, I could quit drinking at any moment. And you've heard that a million times. Well, as soon as you're saying that, you better just acknowledge you're an alcoholic. Oh, I could quit at any time. And people that are alcoholics, they have their family members, well, then do it, quit. Well, I don't need to, why? Because I could do it at any time. So do it, 
but I don't need to. It's this, it's this kind of crazy logic. And that's what happens to the backslider. The backsliding, I can be saved. I can, I can still sin and you know, sinners still go to heaven and I'm saved by grace through faith. And we sort of you know, look at the liberty that we have in Christ and we just start playing games with God. There's no real repentance. Um, that's where it starts getting dangerous because there's a difference between someone who is sinning, you know, and you might even add in there by accident or, you know, um, uh, you know, you're struggling with sin, wrestling against sin. But there's a big difference between the person who takes up sin and practices sin. Is there a difference between someone who's practicing sin? What does it mean to practice sin? When you're practicing something, you're trying to get better at it. You know, if you're a guitar player, you sit down and you practice so that you're better. And if you're practicing sin, man, I think that's a, the most dangerous place for you to be. Now, if you're wrestling with sin, that's a different thing. What do you mean, Brett? How does that work out practically? Well, we mentioned pornography. You know, if some of you are struggling with that, struggling with pornography, you know, pornography is so easy today. Back when, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it was always the, the creepy dad that had a bunch of magazines. And then, you, you know, some other kid would bring one of his, sneak one of his magazines to school and show his buddies. But that's like, that's the only place you could see something like that. You know, and, um, and, and you know, today, you know, with the internet and the kids on, the, on their phones and stuff, you know, pornography is rampant and we have a huge problem with pornography in, in the world. So if a person's saying, well, I just, you know, I struggle with it. Well, are you really struggling with it or is it something you've practiced so that you wouldn't get caught? You figured out a way to sort of do it in a way that won't be traceable and nobody's looking at your history. And you're sort of, you're sort of got, a, got a thing where, you know, you even, I, I mean, it's amazing what people will do to get away with sin. And if you're working on ways to do those things, well, the problem with that is you're putting yourself in a place where, and again, this is, this is why I think the Lord doesn't lock down the once saved, always things airtight. Uh, once saved, always saved. Like for example, um, to the person who's practicing sin, this is a verse that would just put shivers. You know, if you're saying, I wanna get better at that sin. Maybe you're, you're someone who's living you know, with your partner and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, you're not married. Oh, Brett, everybody lives together before they get married. Well, that's just sin, you're practicing sin. That's why that's so dangerous. You've made a decision, I'm just gonna sin. Oh, but the Lord's merciful and he'll forgive me when we repent of our sins. There's no real repentance there. You're living in sin and practicing it. And here's what it says about that. It says, now the works of the flesh, this is Galatians 5, 19 through uh, 21. It says, but the works of the flesh are manifest or made known, which are these, adultery, um, fornication. The Greek word for that is porneia, where we get our word pornography. So sexual immorality of any kind, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which means um, dirty thoughts, by the way. Um, do you have, are you practicing dirty thoughts? But I'm not sinning against anyone. Well, you're sinning against the Lord and yourself with dirty thoughts. Um, lasciviousness, which means, you know, party animal. Are you a party animal? Um, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which means like, uh, are you uh, practicing quarreling? Are you a good quarreler? That's on this list. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, 
revelings, and such the like of which I told you before. I've also told you in times past that, listen, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Should that strike a bit of fear in people? I, I think it should. It's, it's probably one of the scariest scriptures in all the Bible. Because, you know, if you're like me, you go, well, I've envied and I've, you know, I've done this stuff. You know, there's a long list of stuff. We, we don't even have to get into the big ones. Envy and strife, quarreling, guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, you know, I've never drank alcohol, so I got one, check, drunkenness, I've never done that. But, but man, but see, here's the thing. The, 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 the part of this that gets a little tricky and it's unfortunate a little bit in the translation where it says they which do such things will not inherit the, the which do such stuff. Well, it's present active participle. You say, well, la-ti-da. Well, it actually is important. Uh, what is that? Well, it just means this. It, it, it means that it really should say those who continually practice such things. It's a continual practicing right now, present active um, that, that puts you in this category of someone who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And people can argue once saved, always saved till you're blue in the face. All I know is this, I don't want anything to do with this scripture, whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminius, I don't want anything to do with this, this person who's, you know, I don't wanna have any part of my life even come close. So the idea of continually practicing, that's the dangerous part. And by the way, you know, in the sexual immoral thing with pornography and stuff. That's one of the reasons people say, why, why does the church, you know, you legalistic Christians, you know, that talk about homosexuality, why do you guys harp on that one so much? There is a reason, and it's not because we're against gay people. Um, just like I can't say I'm against witches. I really am not. Um, and, and here's why I don't sit and harp on witchcraft that much. Um, on Halloween, I'll talk about that since it's kind of good night to talk about that. I don't know any witches personally. I really don't. I mean, you know, uh, derogatorily I might, uh, you know, the, but uh, no. Um, no, I don't, I really don't. And I know they're out there and I know they're doing their thing tonight. They're down in Ashland. I remember growing up in Ashland, going to school down there. There's witchcraft happening tonight. There's poor cats dying. Uh, seriously, down in, in Ashland, uh, that's, that's witch central down there. So there are witches, but you know, most people in the world are like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be a witch. Like not a good idea to be a witch. But when it comes to the homosexual agenda, people by the millions are marching in the streets saying, yay, gays, yes, this is good. And we condone and approve. And, and the gay person is saying it's a lifestyle. Uh, you know, and I didn't have any choice over it. You can't say, you know, that you, uh, uh, you chose that lifestyle. It's just, you know, that's what they say. But the problem is the Bible calls it sin. And if you're continually practicing sin, unrepentant, unwilling to change and try to wrestle against it. See, there's a difference between the gay person who acknowledges that they have those, those proclivities that worldview and that sexual you know, um, you know, preference, I'm gonna call it that because that's what it is, a sexual preference, they have that. It's when they let it go unchecked and say, whatever, that's where that makes me nervous. See, nobody's saying, I think angry men should just stay angry and keep being angry. God bless them, it's in their genetic code and it's in their DNA and so they're just angry. And sorry, ladies, if your husband beats you uh, at nighttime, um, you know, we, we celebrate angry men. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. 
Nobody wants the angry man to keep doing his sinful thing. So he needs to repent. But if he continually practices that sin, I think he falls in this category. So, so that's the thing. Nobody's marching down the street saying, we support angry men. The homosexual agenda, people are supporting it by the millions and millions. So that's why that one gets a lot of press these days as the world is saying something that's not sin um, and the Bible says it is, that's what makes it particularly dangerous because those who continually practice those sins will not inherit the kingdom. Are you saying gay people will not go to heaven? I'm saying if a person is unrepentant and saying I will not change and I'm gonna do this even though the Bible says no, I'm saying, According to the Bible, they're in a place I would not wanna be when the rapture of the church happens. Uh, I, can't, I can't promise that they're going to heaven. Um, just doctrinally, it doesn't shake that out. But you know what else is interesting? Like the pornography guy that's clicking away on the internet and he's figured out a way to do it without anybody catching him. And he's got it as a secret sin that nobody knows about. He's also in a real dangerous place because he's practicing sin. It's not the guy that struggles with pornography or the girl that struggles with pornography, you know, that says, man, I, Lord, I've, I've sinned again. And they repent and they try to be accountable and they you know, don't make provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh, like Romans 13, we read last week. And there's a wrestling going on. Man, that's welcome to the, to the rest of the world. We all struggle with different sins, but the struggle is the key. If you're just blatantly just diving headfirst, you are in kind of a backslidden state. And I wouldn't really wanna be in this category of the person who continually practices such sin because it says you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Pretty brutal. Why do we do it? What makes it bad? What makes it a problem? Well, man, you know, I think that it's like the alcoholic who says, yeah, I can quit at any time, but they don't and their lives are miserable. And sadly, did you know our sin leads to misery? When we're unrepentant and we're hiding our sins and we're thinking we're getting away with it and we're like, yeah, whatever, Brett, I don't know. The Lord's gracious and merciful and so I think I'm saved. Even though I click away on pornography, I don't, I don't agree. Well, you know what's interesting? I, I, I hope that I can appeal maybe from this angle that our sin, whether it's pornography or drunkenness or whatever the sins may be that we tend to become better at, they lead to total misery unfulfilled, unhappy lifestyle. That's what sin is. Sin is, makes us miserable. You know, God is not hunting you down of your sin. Remember Numbers 32, 23? And be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Your sin catches up to you, catches up with you. And you think it's gonna make you happy or pleasure for a moment. And the Bible even says, right? There's sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But when that season is up, miserable, Miserable is where the person of sin is. Listen to Psalm 38. Um, this, is, this is a Psalm of David when he was in his sin. Uh, he had sexual immorality and probably had an STD that he was dealing with um, because of his sexual immorality. But listen to what he says in Psalm 38, verses three through four. I'll maybe even go a little further than that. Um, it says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither there, is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head and are a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all day long. 
for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. Does he sound like he's in a good spot, David? By the way, Tim Hawkins tells a story where he, after one of his comedy, he's a Christian comedian, you know, he was doing the comedy. And then afterward, he was signing autographs and stuff at this merch table in the, at the church. And this nice lady came up and said, would you just write a scripture in, this, in, in, the, in, the, in the back part of, this, of my daughter's Bible? And he was like, oh yeah, it was a scripture. He, he couldn't really remember the, the verse. So he kind of took a little bit of a shot in the dark and he wrote Psalm 38 verse uh, seven. And he just wrote it down. Uh, Psalm 38, God bless you, you know, kind of thing. And well, um, after, after the concert, he's like, man, what was that verse? I think it was Psalm 38, seven. He looked up Psalm 38, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease <laughs> and there is so, no soundness in my flesh. Ooh. I think he owed somebody an apology after that, that little signing. But, uh, but this is a horrible place that David's in. And, and I'm sure there was pleasure in his sin for a season, but now he finds himself in this place, place of really disease and sickness. That's what it is. You know, sin leads to total disaster. Proverbs 13, 15, mark it well. You know, the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. You see, the reason this is so important is it's not because I'm trying to say, you know, beat y'all up over the head, you know, because of your sin or my sin. But man, if we just acknowledge before God, oh, the best place to be is walking with the Lord, doing what's right and running from sin, wrestling against our sin, repenting of our sins, not being the, the prodigal or not being the, the backslider who says, well, I'm a Christian, but so I'm messing around and I'm moving away from the Lord a little bit for now, but I can, I can quit at any time. Oh, it's just the way that's hard and filled with sadness and bummers. I have a hunch the older people in this room can say amen to that maybe a little more heartily than some of you younger people who've yet to see that your sin catches up with you. And some of the ugliness, it's, it's too hard for people to even bear sometimes. And it's all when you were younger, you think, oh, this is great, I'm getting away with it, look at me. And then all of a sudden you realize your sin has caught up with you and it makes it disastrous. It's a little bit like, you know, Luke chapter 15, you know, verse 11 through 24, talks about the prodigal son. You know, he lived large for a season. He had all the money and his friends were partying down. He lived in a faraway country, but eventually he ran out of the money and he finds himself eating pig slop with the pigs and realizing that his father's servants were living better than he was living. You know, that's the sad thing is, is oftentimes that's where you finally come to your senses and you realize, man, I, I went too far. I allowed my backsliding when I thought I was in total control of my life and, and it's just a little backsliding. So I was just doing a little bit of stuff, no big deal, but you find yourself totally miserable. That's what makes backsliding so dastardly is it promises big, but delivers little. What makes it a problem? Sin makes us miserable. But then the, the, the question as we start to wrap it up is what, how do we make it right? I love this. Now this is the part that's a double, double-edged sword. Because of how simple it is to return to the Lord, and especially if you're one who knows this theologically, it almost makes it so you're more tempted just to go ahead and keep dabbling and playing with your sin because you know how easy it is to get back to the right place. 
But the problem is, um, it's a little bit like how easy it would be to stop drinking alcohol. Or if you're on a diet, stop going to Taco Bell. That's easy, just don't go to Taco Bell anymore, easy. If you're me, easier said than done. Man, you know, there's that, you know, uh, you, you, you get busy uh, and you, you're, you're tired, it's been a long day and you haven't had a chance to, you know, eat a, a, a nice healthy meal. And so you're on your way home and there it is and it's, you know, beautiful light purple Taco Bell. You hear the angels sing as you drive by. <laughs> they know you by first name basis. It's, it's really bad. You know you got a problem. But here's the thing, here's the thing. It promises big, but delivers little. You eat your Taco Bell crunchy taco and bean burrito and you're like, ugh, I feel sick. Not healthy. But that's the truth with all of the sin that we wrestle with. We wrestle with sin. But as soon as you start just saying, well, I can turn at any moment, I can repent and come back to the Lord at any moment. And I use the Taco Bell one because that's, that's not as, as uh, crazy as some of the ones that we really have to admit to in our lives. But we think we can just turn at any moment. Well, I'll get serious about the Lord. I'll, I'll return from my backsliding. But we don't even realize how, how dangerous it is. You know, the lamb, the little lamb that we talked about, remember Isaiah, we read, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone our own way. Do you remember that? But what happens to the little, little lamb that's gone astray? It gets caught up in the thicket and he's tangled up and pretty soon he can't return when he wants to. And when you're a lamb caught in the thicket, you're ready to be a little tasty appetizer for a wolf. You see, that's the problem with our backslidings is we, we think I can come back anytime I want unless you're caught up in the thicket, in the sin where the wolf wants to just pick you off. It's so dangerous. Backsliding is dangerous. And, we, and, and, and the reason I kind of want to remind us of that before I finish with this is because it is easy to turn back if you're not caught up in the thicket, if you're not addicted if you're not so ingrained in your sin that you can't pull it out of you anymore, better to backslide early, you know, or to return from your backslidings early. So what do you do? Well, I love what our text tells us. Jeremiah chapter three, uh, verse 14, 12 and 14. You know, 12 says, return thou backsliding Israel, say the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. The answer is return, come back. Verse 14, turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Um, you see, this idea is turning. Um, you know, this reminds me of Revelation chapter two, uh, verses four and five, the, the church at Ephesus was warned by Jesus himself. And he said, you know, I have this against you. You've left your first love. They had backslidden away from their relationship from God. And the answer was, verse four and five says, nevertheless, I have against you that you've left your first love. So here's what you do. Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come and remove your candlestick from out of its place unless you repent. The word repent is so key when you're a backslider. You gotta say, okay, it's time to change my mind, change my direction, about face. The word repent is kind of a military term in Bible times. When they say about face and you turn around, that's repent. So the backslider, it's, it's what happened when the prodigal was sitting there eating pig slop saying, man, my dad's servants are better. I'm going back home. So whew, he got out of the pig slop, walked toward his dad. That's what repentance is. When you make that decision to return back to the Lord and, and turn your back 
to whatever sin was besetting you so easily. Repentance. What does it take to get away from your backsliding and get right with God? Repentance. And there in Luke's gospel, that story, you know, of, of the returning prodigal son, Luke 15, the father received him with open arms. And that's what the Lord will do with you. That's what this verse, chapter you know, three, verse 12 is telling us, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. That's the beautiful part. When you repent of your sins and turn back to the Lord, he's there with open arms and he loves you and he will robe you in his righteousness. Remember, that's what happened with the prodigal. He gave him a robe and a ring on his finger, killed the fatted calf and had a big party because the son who was lost was now found. The key is to return. The book of Hosea, powerful book about backsliding. The whole Old Testament story of Hosea is basically Israel is represented by Gomer, the prostitute wife of Hosea the prophet. And this prostitute woman keeps going back to her prostitution. And then, you know, eventually Hosea would take her back. And then she'd go back to prostitution. And then Hosea would take her back. And over the years, she just got really good at going away from Hosea back to prostitution. And the people of Israel all knew it. It was an open in the sight of Israel. Man, that poor prophet Hosea, his wife, whew, she's a floozy. She's just out there being a prostitute all the time. And Hosea just keeps taking her back. Well, finally it got so bad where she left him once and for all and was a prostitute. But the problem is she got so old and messed up from her prostitution that now no one was attracted to her. She didn't have prostitution business anymore. So what did she end up being? She was, sold, she was there standing probably nakedly in front of the whole town square being sold as a slave, not a prostitute, a slave. See, that's the problem. Our backslidings start out so you know exciting and thrilling and wonderful, but you end up being a slave. So she's being sold as a slave on the slave market, an old woman with nothing to offer. And Hosea the prophet comes and purchases his own wife out of slavery. What a, what a story. That's what the Lord does with us. He, we sold ourselves out to our sin. We prostituted ourselves to other sinful things, but the Lord says, I will purchase you. That's the word redemption, by the way. He's redeemed us. But there's a line in Hosea, at the very end of the story of Hosea, there's a line uh, that I, I can't leave off tonight without saying it. It's Hosea chapter 14, verse four. The Lord says, I will heal. That, he, he says to Israel, because you know, Hosea's wife and he, they're a picture of Israel and God, how they prostituted themselves against God. But I love, he, he ends his book, Hosea 14, four, I will heal their backslidings. That's what the Lord is good at. So when you return to the Lord, he will heal you. If you repent of your sin, he is merciful and he'll hug you and robe you and kiss you and take you back in and he'll pay the price for you instead of you paying the price. That's the most amazing God that we worship. That's the loving God that we serve. He will heal your backslidings. There's one more thing. Not one more thing, Brett, come on. You said you were almost done. No, there's one more thing and then I'm done. Um, there's something for some of you that might be piously sitting here saying, well, Brett, I happen to have not backslidden and I am in total good, you know, uh, standing with God. See, the problem is backsliding can take on alcohol and sex and drugs and rock and roll, but did you know it also can take on little evil attitudes and thoughts and actions and 
propensities that creep into our lives. And you might look like the pious Christian, but are you envious of others? Are you angry at God because you don't have the same stuff that other people have? And there's this little thing, it's a backsliding. It just doesn't look like alcohol or pornography or the the ugly ones that I was talking about. There's ever so subtle ones. You know, Galatians, remember when Paul says, oh, Galatians, how foolish you are that you've been so quickly removed from the gospel. You know, you've, you've turned from the gospel to another that's not really even a gospel. That's backsliding. Like theologically, there was a backsliding uh, with the Galatian church. It wasn't the pornography and stuff like that. It was that they went back to kind of a law, a legalism. That was a backsliding. So you have to kind of be careful about your, your, if, you're, if you're not careful, you, you can think, well, I'm, I'm not wrestling with pornography or alcohol. Or The question is, what are you wrestling with? What is your, your propensity to, to drive away from God because of a little, little sneaky attitude that, that's coming in and ripping you off? Watch out. And then another little thing, when people sin against you and backslide away from you, are you as forgiving and merciful as God? You know, we always talk as Christians, oh, I just wanna be more like Jesus, really? Seriously? Are you as forgiving and merciful as God? When people have wronged you or sinned against you or treated you badly or said something mean about you, have you chalked them off and said, yeah, whatever, I'm never gonna like them again. I will never forgive them. Well, that's not the Lord. Praise the Lord, when we backslide into our horrible, stinky sin, all we have to do is repent and turn to the Lord. He says, okay, I love you, you're back. That's the merciful God we serve. Are you like the Lord in that? Or are you still bitter about someone who's wronged you years and years ago? Then you have work to do. You see, tonight, just about every one of us gets nailed some way, shape, or form. When we talk about this backsliding thing, we all have work to do if you're a human and you have a fleshly tendency, like the Bible says, we have work to do, stuff to pray about in this, this evil of backsliding. Beware of backsliding in Jesus' name. Let's pray. And Father, we are so thankful for your nature, your character, Lord. You're so merciful and so forgiving. How thankful I am, Lord, as we think about this whole chapter and the backsliding Israel and how you call them backsliding Israel. Lord, we don't wanna be any part of that. I pray that you would, as you do, lovingly, um, carefully, convict our hearts, Lord, where we have allowed just a a sinful mindset or worldview to creep into our lives. If it's the big addictions that we talked about or sexual immorality, Lord, I pray that you just cause my brothers and sisters to repent and have victory over those those things. But the subtle ones, Lord, the things that we think we've got dialed in and think that we're all holy and good when really, Lord, you would try to convict, convict our own souls of attitudes and things that have gotten off course and we're the lamb that's gone astray in our thinking or in our attitude. Lord, would you also lovingly correct us? And we wanna repent and turn back to you. So convict us, Lord. And, and then may we just know of your great mercy and your good forgiveness and your grace, Lord. I'm so thankful that we can do this. And I pray that we take and check our spirit often. Lord, that we often search our hearts, Lord, that you would search our hearts and see if there's any wickedness unchecked, undealt with in our lives. So for the backslider, I pray for a repentance and a healing and a blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd cause your church just to hunger and thirst after righteousness, Lord. Help us with that, we pray. 
Thank you for your word, Lord, tonight. And pray you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. In Jesus' name.